I'll open this up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you. We thank you for this day that you've given us once again, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and worship you today um, fellow uh, with fellow believers, Lord. Just thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, just bless our time. Pray that you would be with us as we uh, dig into the truths that we find here in Daniel. Pray, Lord, that you would just give us wisdom and insight into these things, Lord. Help us to understand your, your plans for the future and the things that you have uh, done in the past, Lord, and the, and the way that you've dealt with your people. We thank you, Lord, so much for this book, and we pray, Lord, that you would just be with us now as we uh, dig into it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Daniel chapter 9 in our study this morning, and we're going to be taking a look at the prayer of Daniel at the beginning of the chapter. I say beginning, but it's really the majority of the chapter. Daniel was a man of prayer. We remember that from our study when we were back in chapter 6, where the law was decreed by King Darius that no other god was to be worshipped. The king was the only one who could be worshipped for a period of 30 days. Uh, And once again, this was another example of one of these kings who looked at himself as deity. We've seen that throughout the book. And the penalty of violating that law meant that a person would be thrown into a den of lions. In essence, it was a penalty of death. Now, to Daniel, there was never really an option once this law had gone into effect. He continued to open up his windows, get down on his knees, and pray three times a day. Which, as we all remember from the account, and it's a very familiar account to all of us, meant that he was indeed thrown to the lions, but God saved him out of that situation. No no lion even licked him at that point in time, at least as far as I know. I don't know. But of course, Daniel had no way of knowing that God would deliver him from the den of lions. He simply did what he knew was the right thing to do. There was never a question in Daniel's mind that he was going to continue to lift praises and prayer to the God of heaven. He was going to continue to pray as he had always done. Prayer to the believer ought to be as essential as breathing, as essential as eating. There should never be a question in our minds as to if we are going to pray. The only question should be how long or how often or at what time we are going to pray. Prayer is an essential part of our spiritual life. It is the only way in which we commune with our Heavenly Father. Uh, we lift, we give requests, and we, we give praises to Him. And it's a privilege that only we, as God's children, have. Proverbs 15.29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. There's a contrast, there's a difference in that verse between believers and unbelievers. As believers, when we talk to God, he is listening to us. He hears our prayers, which is something that the wicked or the unbeliever cannot claim. He hears the prayer of the righteous. In Daniel chapter 9, we have an example of a godly prayer coming from a godly man. In the first 19 verses of this 27-verse chapter, we are primarily concerned with Daniel's prayer to God, which is a prayer of confession or intercession for the nation of Israel. That at its heart is what this prayer is. And we began looking at this section last time and we got into the fourth verse of the chapter uh, because in these first four verses we saw several things related to prayer. And, and I'll admit we took a bit of a rabbit trail um, in spending some time looking at uh, prayer but the first things that we saw in these, four, in these first four verses was the background information for this section. Verse 1 told us that these events are taking place during the first year of Darius the Mede. I, I realize that some call him Darius, but I've seen the official VeggieTales video, as many of you probably have, and I know that it's Darius because that's what that... Tape tells me, or tape, uh, now I'm dating myself. That's what that video tells me. Anyway, Darius. But we can't say with absolute certainty who Darius was, but we do know that he was the first ruler of the Chaldean or Babylonian kingdom after it was taken over uh, from Belshazzar 
uh, by the Medo-Persians. And we know this from chapters chapters 5 and 6, which we've seen in detail. But what this means for us and what we know for sure is that Daniel is around 80 years old at this point in time, possibly closer to 85. And while that's significant from the standpoint of how long he has faithfully served the Lord, that's not even the most significant thing about knowing how old Daniel is at this point. The most significant thing is what he was doing at 80 years old, and we see that in verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So Daniel was reading, right? He was reading the word of God. He was reading out of the writings from the prophet Jeremiah. And in those writings, he read a significant prophecy, regarding a significant number, and that number was 70. 70 years until the desolation of Jerusalem was complete. Now Daniel, if you remember, had been around 15 years old when he had been taken captive, when the desolations had begun. And now he was between 80 and 85 years old. So we don't have to be great at math to understand this, but how much time has passed? Close to, right around, 70 years has passed now. And so Daniel realizes that this time is almost at an end. And so what does this mean? Well, in the writings of Jeremiah, it told him, and it tells us as well, and we looked at this last time, and I won't have you turn there again, but I'm going to read part out of Jeremiah 29 once again, in verses 10 through 14. Uh, Part of what Daniel read was, For thus says the Lord, when seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. And so at the end of this time, what is Israel supposed to be doing? They are supposed to be calling upon the name of the Lord. They are supposed to seek him. They are supposed to find him and search for him with all their heart. And only then will they be be restored. It says in here, I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you. I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. So here's Daniel after this 70 years of captivity, close to 70 years of captivity, reading this. And you can imagine how exciting this would be for him to realize that, hey, we're right at about that time. And so you have to say, what is Daniel expecting? He's expecting that the time of the captivity is almost at an end. And so what does Daniel do? Well, in verse 3, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said. And so Daniel prayed, right? That's exactly what Jeremiah said that they should be doing. They should pray at the end of this time. They should seek the Lord. And so Daniel prays. He sought after the Lord. And there were several things we talked about here with regard to the way in which Daniel prayed. First thing we saw was that Daniel's prayer was in response to God's word. God spoke first. Daniel read from the word of God and saw that it was Um, saw what it was that he was supposed to do, saw that God had revealed these things to him in these writings, and Daniel responded to what God had communicated. The second thing we saw was that Daniel gave the Lord his sole focus. He set his face towards the Lord in his prayer. He had absolute focus in his prayer before God. No distractions, not a half-hearted effort when he prayed to God. But it was a time between Daniel and God, and God had all of Daniel's attention. The third thing we saw was that he had a proper attitude of humility. Daniel properly prepared himself to come before God with a humble heart. 
There was, there was no pretense in Daniel's prayer, no expectation or sense that he was owed something by God. Oh, God said this, this is what God promised, so now, God, make it happen. That wasn't Daniel's attitude. He came before the Lord with a broken spirit, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes, it says. Signs of poverty, signs of brokenness and mourning. These were complete acts of humility on Daniel's part. And finally, Daniel comes with confession. As I mentioned before, this is a prayer of confession. We started talking about this some last time. Uh, Look at the beginning of verse 4 again, right, where it says, And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. There was a problem between Israel and God. And that's why the captivity had occurred in the first place, right? Lest anyone forget that, the reason that they are in Babylon was that there was a problem between Israel and God. This wasn't a time uh, for Daniel to come before the Lord demanding that he fulfill his promise, but he came before the Lord with a repentant heart. In full understanding of the sins that Israel had committed before God, which was the entire reason that they were there. And Daniel didn't distance himself from that sin either. Daniel put himself right in there with his people. Now, why did he do that? Was he the worst offender? Was Daniel the one sitting there thinking, oh, this all happened because of me? Was he the one that had gone after idols or that had offended God by disobeying his word? No. We've seen Daniel's character. We know that Daniel is a man that had a heart for God. And there is nothing to indicate that he ever offended God in that way. There's nothing recorded for us in all of Scripture that points to any type of character flaw that we have um, with Daniel, like we do with other men of the Bible, right? You can look at other people in the Bible, people like David, like Moses, Peter, and Paul. All of them you can look at at different points in time, and you can see that they had different flaws. There were different things that they did that they shouldn't have done. But not Daniel. Now, don't misunderstand me. Daniel wasn't perfect. He was a sinner just like you and me, just like all those other men and women in the Bible, right? But God did not see fit to record for us anything but commendable examples from Daniel's life. And therefore, we have to ask, why then does Daniel need to be confessing here? Why is Daniel the one getting down on his knees to do this? Because along with that godly character and that fervent and effective prayer life, of Daniel, Daniel understood that coming before God needs to be done with a sense of self-denial and confession puts us in that right mindset. Confession is agreeing with God that we are not perfect. Agreeing with God that there are things that we do that stand in the way of our relationship with him. The big example, the elephant in the room, if you will, is the sin of Israel during the time that Daniel is living within, right? Their entire existence, the reason that they're there. Obviously, there has been damage done to that relationship between Israel and God because they are in captivity. They have been punished and they are being disciplined as Daniel prays this. And as we've seen many times in our study, it was God that gave them over into this captivity, So here's Daniel in this situation, a member of the nation of Israel, one of those people who had been given over into captivity, and he comes before God with an attitude of confession. Confession of sins clears the way for effective and meaningful prayer. When we have unconfessed sins in our lives, there is an obstacle between us and God that we might try to work around, we might try to function around it, but that doesn't really work. And we know that it doesn't really work. We might try to do that, but we know that it really doesn't work that way. If I were to leave here today, maybe we were to leave here after service, and I were to back my car into one of your cars, there would be a problem between us, wouldn't there? I mean... An obvious issue now exists between us. Now, maybe you would be gracious to me. Maybe you'd be very forgiving. Maybe you'd even be willing to tell me, you know what, that's no big deal. Just help me pick my bumper up off the ground and put it in the trunk. It's no big deal. 
But at the point where I'm getting out of my car to talk to you, right? You know, our cars have just hit and I'm getting out of my car to talk to you. I don't assume that. I can't assume that there's no problem between us. I don't get out and start talking to you about the weather or ask you what you thought of the sermon or say, hey, did you see that new quarterback we just picked up? I can't do that. Why? Because there's this issue between us. There's a problem for which I am responsible and with which I need to deal with you before we can go on and have a conversation about anything else. I have to start off the conversation with a willingness to deal with what I've done, with the way in which I've just done wrong to you and backed into your car. If I don't, it damages the situation between us. And eventually, it would start to eat at me inside until I dealt with it, right? Hopefully, I would not be the type of person that backs into the car, looks around, and says, oh, Joel's not here. Okay, well, there I go. On my part, there needs to be an attitude of confession, of self-denial. Would the situation be helped if I got out of my car and immediately started talking about, well, you know, you parked awfully close to me. Or how someone, someone messed up my mirror and so I couldn't see you. Or maybe I'm colorblind, I don't see the color red and you have a red car so I didn't even know you were back there. No, those are deflections from my own responsibility and unwillingness to confess my wrongdoing. When it comes to our prayer life, believers do these kinds of things all the time. Instead of confessing sins, we either deny sins or we make excuses for sins. Maybe we don't tell those excuses to God directly in prayer, but instead we don't bring up our sins because we've already come up with these excuses in our own minds. God wouldn't really care about that. That's, that's a minor thing that I did. I, you know, that guy had that rude gesture coming to him because uh, he cut me off in traffic. It was really his fault, if you think about it. Think about Daniel's situation. Daniel, as he's reading this, and he's seeing the sins of Israel, and he's seeing that, that Israel needs to come to him in confession, he could have said, you know, I wasn't the one that followed after other gods. I wasn't one of the worst instigators. I was just a kid when all this happened. I was a teenager when all this came about. I don't have anything to confess. It shouldn't be me confessing this stuff before God. Let them get down on their knees and confess this. They're all way worse than I am. But that's not what Daniel does. He gets down on his knees and he prays a prayer that primarily consists of confession. It's a prayer of intercession for the entire nation. And as we get into the details of this prayer, we're going to see this confession of Daniel. We're going to see him acknowledge all that God's people had done wrong and how he was coming to God with a contrite heart. And so beginning in the second half of verse 4, we're going to continue to look at this model of prayer that we have from Daniel. So look at me, of verse 4. Uh, look at the middle of verse 4 with me. As Daniel begins to pray, he says, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. This is how Daniel begins this prayer, acknowledging the one to whom he's lifting up prayer, right? And extolling and really, really the unchanging character of God here. The object of our prayers, God, is the most important aspect of our prayer life. And the fact that he is who he is and will never change is essential to our prayers. Why do I put it that way? Because when we pray, we are not trying to hit a moving target. We don't pray to someone who wants one thing this minute and another thing the next. He's not one who will respond one way today and another way tomorrow. God is a righteous standard. God doesn't flip-flop or become unpredictable depending on his mood or if he's having a bad day. If you think about the example before if I, of me hitting your car in a parking lot today, you may say it's no problem. Oh, help me pick up the bumper. And be gracious to forgive me. But what if it happened if we were in the three-hour line to go get COVID tested and we were two hours into it and I ran into the back of you? You might not quite be in such a forgiving mood at that point in time. But God's not that way. 
God doesn't change like that. And you see what Daniel says here. It says he's the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. That is who he is. This doesn't change. He is always the great and awesome God. He always keeps his covenant. He always acts with loving kindness for those who love him and for those who keep his commandments. Who are these people? They are his people. They are his children. His children are the ones who have the right to come before him in prayer in the first place. Those that love God are those who keep his commandments. And those who keep his commandments are the ones who love him. And they are one and the same. You, you don't really have one without the other. You don't really have someone who says, I love God, but I don't do what he says. And again, this doesn't change. From Daniel's day to our day, this doesn't change. And even in Jesus' day, we can see this. If you look over in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, I'll read these. You can turn there if you want. But Jesus told something very similar to this, the same thing, really, in John chapter 14, when he says in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. And that's pretty straightforward. The one who loves him will keep his commandments, Jesus says. Now, down in verse 21 of John 14, he says this, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You see, there's a mutual relationship here. The one who loves God keeps his commandments, lives in obedience to him. And only those who live in obedience to God are the ones who truly love him. They are one and the same. And the benefits to those who love God and who obey God include the love of the Father and the Son. And there isn't anyone who truly loves God um, that God does not love. When Jesus tells his disciples this in John chapter 14, this is something that hadn't changed since Daniel was acknowledging the same thing back in Daniel chapter 9. He's praying to the God who acts in love towards those who belong to him. And this is a constant with God that is always true of God. When we pray, it's a great comfort to know this. Have you ever known someone who never seemed to respond the same way twice? Or who could never count, you can never count on to be consistent with their response? I've had bosses before where you go into their office one day and you get some direction from them or you ask them a question and they tell you one thing and then you go and for a week you spend doing it that way and then a week later they come and ask you, why are you doing this? Because that's the way you, no, that's not the way you should do it. You should do it this way. And it's maddening, right? It's frustrating when that happens. But again, God is not that way. His character is constant, and we can rely on that. So Daniel acknowledges this, not just here, but throughout his prayer, he acknowledges other things that are true about God as well. In verse 7, he says, righteousness belongs to you, O Lord. In verse 9, he says, to the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. Verse 14, he says, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done. Verse 16, he says, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts... In verse 18, he refers again to your great compassion. Throughout his prayer, there is reference to the standard that is God and the comparison to the failings of the nation. God truly is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our obedience. And as the one to whom we need to bow in humble submission, throw ourselves at the mercy of and confess all of our shortcomings. Because he has none. It's to him that we pray. We are allowed to uh, have an audience, an audience from which we can make our requests and show our love and worship him. What a magnificent God that we serve. And this is the God whom Daniel's praying to. And so Daniel, having acknowledged that God is great and awesome and that he is faithful to his word, his covenant to those who love him, right? Because Daniel's saying this in response to what God promised to Jeremiah, right? Because if you think about it, Daniel reads this from Jeremiah and he's got hope now. This is what's about to come about. If God is not going to honor his promises, there's no hope, right? 
But Daniel is convinced. Daniel knows that God does honor his promises. And so having acknowledged that God is great and awesome, that he is faithful, faithful to his word and to those who love him, he does make this intercession for the people. Now look with me at verses 5 and 6. Now, before we read 5 and 6, trust me, we're going to go through the remainder of this prayer a little faster than we've gone through it so far. So just don't worry about that. Verse 5, we have sinned committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. So here Daniel acknowledges the sins of Israel, right? All that they had done. They had acted wickedly. They had rebelled, turned aside from your commandments, not listened to the prophets, Right? And we looked at some of this last time. All that he says here is right in accordance with what he had read in Jeremiah's writings. And we turned there last time. And, and again, I'm just going to read another part of Jeremiah chapter 25, um, starting in verse 4. If you want to turn there, you can. But Jeremiah 25, starting in verse 4. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell on the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. Verse 7. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Daniel knows that this has all come to pass already. Just as God told the people through the prophet Jeremiah, Daniel was acknowledging it all to be true in Israel. Daniel, on behalf of all Israel, is acknowledging their sins before God. He is praying, not just on his own behalf, but on behalf of all of the people. From very early on, Israel was notorious for rebelling against God. Over and over again, the pattern would repeat itself. God blesses them, and things go well for a while. Then Israel falls away. They fall into a pattern of sin. So God brings punishment upon them. After a while, they cry out to God in repentance. God restores them and brings blessings to them again. And then the pattern repeats itself. They have their blessings, it goes that way for a while, and then they fall into sin again. The book of Judges is a prime example of this. Over and over again, the pattern goes on and on and on like this. And even in Daniel's time, this is what we're seeing they are now in that pattern once again. And Daniel is now at the cry out to God in repentance part of that pattern. And so as Daniel is praying this, what is he doing? He's praying on behalf of all the nation. Again, this is not just a prayer for Daniel. It's not just about Daniel. This is not a prayer for Daniel to be restored. Well, send me back. Forget about these other losers. Send me back. That's not what he's saying. He's getting, I mean, Daniel's getting up there in years at this point, right? He could be like, well, okay, forget them. I'm just going to do this on my own. But that's not what he's doing. He's praying on behalf of all the people. And this continues with the following verses as well. Look at verse 7 with me. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. And you see, his compassion for all of Israel and admitting the sins of Israel, of all of Israel. You note here, he's not just praying for the people of Judah. The southern tribe that was taken into Babylonian captivity, that was a part of it. But he's recognizing the sins of those that came before as well. 
those who are part of even the northern kingdom that had been taken and scattered almost 150 years before this. They were guilty of the same things. They had fallen into the same traps, the same sins, and paid for it dearly. This is a prayer for all of Israel, not just northern tribes and southern tribes, but all of Israel. Again, we see the contrast here with the, with the standard of God. Righteousness belongs to you, but to us, open shame. Your will, your deeds, your word, that is the standard, O God. You are the standard. And we have not matched up to what you wanted us to do. Shame from the greatest to the least. Shame to those who came before us, even to those who are faithful. There is shame because of the sins that we've committed. To God belongs compassion and forgiveness, it says in verse 9. And that's good because we've rebelled against you. We've rebelled big time here. In many ways, in many different times. We had the word of the prophets, your words, O Lord, and we failed to walk in them. They told us what we needed to know. You told us what we needed to know through the prophets, and we didn't listen. And you see the utter despair that Daniel is conveying here. What did they do right? Nothing that he brings up here, right? He doesn't say, well, we did all these things wrong. There was a couple of years in there where we did some, okay, no, there's none of that. This is not the time to bring up a few good things, if there were any, because the scales balance so far in the other direction. Daniel's heart of self-denial is complete. His humble attitude is complete. He's not trying to spin the situation. He's not trying to say, I've been faithful to you. Keep that in mind. Make it out to be less than what it is. He's completely opening up all the failures of the people. This is another example for us, I think, of, of prayer, especially of intercessory prayer, praying on behalf of someone else, praying for someone else even because of their sin. Uh, and I'm not talking about people that have already died. I'm talking about people that are still here. Um, there's no mention in here of Daniel's own character, of his own righteous attitude. We already know Daniel's character. We've seen it repeatedly. We already know that God was pleased with Daniel. He blessed him over and over and over again in his life. From Again, from the time he was 15, uh, where he was given favor in the sight of others by God. All the way up until the time he was in his 80s where God sent his angel to close the mouth of the lions for him. Remember, that was close to this point in time. And yet Daniel doesn't forget to pray on behalf of others, even throwing his lot in with them. For the most part, we as believers realize that we need to pray for others. We need to be praying for one another. We listen to requests, we write them down, we remember each other throughout the week, right? We talk to each other in our D, in our D groups. We remind, um, we're reminded of a family each week in the bulletin, right, that we need to be praying for. We know that. We know that we're to be praying for each other. But what about praying on behalf of others that don't, I'll put it in air quotes, deserve it, or that don't even ask for it? What about praying on behalf of those who are in sin or, or who have gotten themselves into a mess that it's difficult to get out of? What's our attitude towards praying for them? That's their own fault. That's good for them to learn a lesson. I mean, that's what Daniel could have said to the nation of Israel, right? That's the situation that the Jews were in. How many other Jews knew to be praying like Daniel was praying? How many of them even thought about it or would even care? How many else... How, how many other people had on their radar, oh, 70 years is about up? How many of them even knew that 70 years was a thing? Remember a few weeks ago when we were finishing up chapter 8, and we saw Daniel's reaction to the vision that he had just seen. In verse 27, a vision that painted a very grim picture of what was coming for Israel because of their transgressions. And we saw at the end of the chapter, in verse 27, that I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. This is what the vision did to Daniel. It exhausted him. It made him sick. It was so, it was so concerning for him. And then it says, Then I got up again and carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision, and there was none to explain it. 
Daniel was so troubled by this vision that it made him sick. But at the end of the verse, he saw the phrase, there was, or we saw the phrase, there was none to explain it. And this can also be translated, there was none who regarded it. In other words, it fell on deaf ears. Daniel was sick about this, but he had a hard time finding anyone else who would even care about it, who even wanted to know about it. So why pray on their behalf? They were getting what they deserved, right? And yet Daniel is praying on their behalf for their restoration because that's showing the same type of loving kindness and compassion that he's attributing to the Lord's character here. Our prayers ought to be filled with just as much intercession on behalf of others as they are about our own lives and our own families and our own situations. I ought to be just as concerned about you as I am with me. And not just keep you in mind, but identify with you. In the church, when one member is hurting, it affects us all. When one member is lacking, we're all lacking. We're all in need. There's an identification that we have with one another, and that should come through in our prayer lives. Paul understood this, right? I mean, you look at Paul's letters in Colossians, he says in verse 3, Colossians 1-3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. He told the Philippians, uh, Philippians 1-3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. He was concerned for others, and even when prayers were not specifically asked for, Paul was praying for the brethren. It's no wonder that God tells us to be devoted to prayer and to pray without ceasing. Because if we really look at how many people there are to pray for and how many things that we can pray about, we'd realize that we can spend a lot more time in prayer than we probably do. And praying for others ought to be the main, uh, a main focus of our prayers day in and day out. Back to Daniel. I, we are going to get through verse 19. I just want you to know that. Lord willing, we are going to get through verse 19. Look at verse 11. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who rule us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And here Daniel makes mention not just of Jeremiah here, where he goes through and he says the same types of things, but he's not just mentioning Jeremiah and what he read there, but he realizes that this sin and this situation goes even deeper than that. It goes all the way to what God told Moses. Turn over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 29. I don't know if I've had you actually turn anywhere yet. I think we looked at this passage a couple weeks ago, but unless you can recite it, we're going to turn there again. Anybody? Okay. It's really bad. I think I mentioned this before too, but it's really good to go back and look at both 28 and 29, but we don't really have time to do that, so we'll just look at 29. But you really ought to read through Deuteronomy 28 because it lists the blessings that will come if Israel is obedient to God, and that's listed in the first 14 verses. And then we have the consequences for disobedience in verses 15 through 68, um, and it's quite enlightening. But in chapter 29, we also have some consequences for disobedience, and it's as it pertains to generations to come. This is Moses presenting the word of the Lord to the nation in this chapter. Um, and in verses 14 through 21, he's telling them about the consequences for disobedience, especially as it pertains to following after other gods, which is very similar to what we're going through here, right? They will be cursed, and that curse will have far-reaching effects in time. He goes so far as to say in verse 20 about the man 
who disobeys, the Lord shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man, and every curse which is written in this book will rest on him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Every curse written will pertain to him. And if you read back again, chapter 28, some of that might entail, right? That's it's not a good thing. But look with me at verse 22. We'll start there. Now the generation to come, your sons who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it, will say, all its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive, and no grass grows in it like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. And all the nations shall say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land? Why this great outburst of anger? Then men shall say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they have not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against that land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. And in Daniel's day, this is where they were. They were in the position where Moses' words here were falling directly upon them. The land had been destroyed, the cities burned, the people removed to other lands. Israel had been scattered, Judah taken to Babylon. This was spoken way back in Moses' day. And now as Daniel prays for forgiveness, this word from God, way back before the nation had even entered the land for the first time, this is not lost on him. God is true to his word in both the good and the bad. All right? God said there would be consequences for disobedience, and sure enough, there were consequences for disobedience. Now, God has also said that there would be blessings, and there will be. He has said that when Israel called upon him at the end of 70 years, there will be restoration. Daniel knew that. He believed that. And now he was praying for that restoration. So verse 15, back in Daniel. Verse 15 is the transition verse with the final acknowledgement of their sin and the turn to the appeal of God's, to God's faithfulness. He says, and now, O Lord our God, who has brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. So Daniel is ready to make his appeal. He has acknowledged sin. He has acknowledged power and righteousness of the God of Israel, the one who has always been faithful, and he provides the profound example from Israel's past when they were brought out of Egypt. An act that made a name for God among the nations as the God who delivered his people from Pharaoh. It is to God that Daniel acknowledges the sin and the wickedness of the nation and the request comes beginning in verse 16. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all these around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because thy city and your people are called by your name. So here Daniel asks for the restoration that was promised. Again, the faithfulness of God is not in question. It's all throughout here. The ability of God is not in question. The love of God on his own people is not in question. Those are all absolutes because they come from a righteous, compassionate, loving God who does not change and never shall change. But the only question is in the submission and the willingness 
of God's people, to live in obedience and do what they are supposed to do, faithfully serving the Lord. And here Daniel does that very thing. Faithfully follows after the command of the Lord by getting down on his knees and praying for this forgiveness, praying for restoration. Restore your city, Jerusalem. Forgive our sins. Turn away your wrath. For You notice here, for what reason does Daniel say that God should do this? Is it on account of Israel? Is it for the sake of Israel? You should do this because, because of us. No. Is it because they are so much better than they were 70 years ago? Because they are now worthy of it? No. Daniel gives the reason several times here. He says in verse 17, For your sake, O Lord. Verse 18, On account of your great compassion. Verse 19, For your own sake, O my God. As with all things, Daniel calls for God to act for his own glory, for his own sake. Not because of Israel, not because of Daniel, but because of God and because of who God is. God made a name for himself among the nations by delivering Israel out of Egypt. A name that all recognize. He continued on with that name over and over again with Israel's deliverance from other nations. And here in Daniel, at least five times we've seen that carry on with other world leaders understanding the power of God in delivering his faithful servants. Now, once again, there's opportunity to show the world the power of God in restoring Israel to their land. Is reputation important to God? Well, that's not really the point. It's not really about reputation as we might think of reputation. The point is God's faithfulness. What Daniel has been alluding to all along, God is faithful and he will fulfill his word. And that is on display for all the world to see here. The problem would come if the world saw that God wasn't faithful, then there would be issues. There's no doubt in Daniel's mind that God will carry this out. As we talked about last time, he is just agreeing with the will of God here. He's asking for God to do what it's already been determined that he will do, what he's already promised he will do. And now Daniel is just approaching God in obedience to his word. And so that brings us to the end of Daniel's prayer. I told you we'd get to verse 19. And this is a remarkable prayer from Daniel, not, not only because of the history and the situation that we see here with regard to where Israel at, is at at this point in time, although it is very important in that respect, and we'll see the way in which it's answered when we get to the remainder of the chapter, which we're not going to get to today. But also, what a remarkable example this is for us in our own prayer lives. Do we come before God with the right attitude, with submission and denial of self when we pray? Do we come confessing our sins before him, taking that obstacle out of our path before we continue on? Do we recognize who it is to whom we're praying and his unchangeable character? Truly recognizing the righteousness, the compassion, the forgiveness of the one to whom we're approaching. Because that affects the way that we pray, doesn't it? Knowing, knowing who we're praying to affects the way that we pray and the way in which we approach him. He is the most holy God. He is the standard of righteousness that never changes or wavers. And I'm a sinner who's been saved by his grace. How can that not affect the way that I approach him? Do we come with the expectation that he will answer our prayers, that he will do what he's promised. We should. That is certainly the way that we ought to pray. Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Our prayers ought to be offered with thanksgiving. When we are asking for things, when we are making our requests, what does that mean? To offer prayers with thanksgiving. It means that we should always expect that God is going to answer our prayers, even to the point where when we're asking, we're thankful. We don't need to wait to see if God will answer our prayers. We know that he will answer them. Now, will it always be the way that we expect? 
Do we know exactly how God is going to answer our prayers? No. We need to be open for the possibility for him to answer our prayers in his own way and not necessarily our way. But even then, we pray with gratitude for his answer, whatever answer that might be. So praying with thankfulness is not, is not arrogance in any way on our part, but it's a testimony to his faithfulness, to the name of God. Because in all things, even in prayer, we ought to desire the glory of God, that he will be glorified in the way in which he answers our prayers. Our prayers bring us in line with his will, and that is for his glory. So it's a remarkable privilege that we have as his children to come before the holy God. And in our next lesson... Uh, We'll get to the third part of this conversation between Daniel and God. God communicated to Daniel through Jeremiah. Daniel now has prayed back to God, and we'll uh, get the way to see. We'll we'll get to see at least the start of the way that God answers this prayer of Daniel's. So let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we just give you praise for another opportunity to be together, uh, to be in your Word. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for uh, just your your forgiveness, your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for just all of your attributes and character. We know, Lord, that that we do not measure up to you, and we pray, Lord, that as we approach you, that we would just have the proper attitude and the proper humility, Lord, and and pray, Lord, uh, that you would just help us to uh, understand um, how to pray better for you, to you. I thank you, Lord, for um, this time that we have together each and every week. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we have to study your word. I thank you for the communication that you have given us through your word. Pray, Lord, that it would be on our hearts each and every day to be in it, to be uh, seeing what you have for us each day, Lord, through your word. And, and pray, Lord, that we would use that in our lives to bring glory and honor to you. Just pray, Lord, that you'd be with us in the next hour as we uh, worship you, as we sing praises to you, Lord, as we hear your word once again. Just pray that that would be a time that would bring glory to you. And pray, Lord, that we would be able to encourage one another here today, uh, have a time of fellowship with one another, and just pray, Lord, that we would leave here uh, refreshed and encouraged and edified and just ready to serve you. And Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.